So this is Luke 1, 5, um, verses 5 to 38. And it's back to our theme, the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man, uniqueness, nothing ever like it has ever happened. How on earth can you take divinity and intermingle it with humanity? Um, This is huge. And I want to really try to communicate the, the... the awesomeness of what this is, mixing those divine with the flesh and everything. This story of Luke here, what we're studying, this passage, it was on the threshold of the most marvelous event in all human history. The next 33 years of Christ's life on this earth is is just nothing, nothing like it before. Everything before it led up to it. There's been nothing like it ever since, but everything since it has been related to it, the things that happened there. It's the climax. It's the culmination. It's the only thing that matters. If that didn't exist, nothing else would have meaning. So let's get the setting straight a little bit. Luke's passage here, it opens up in the days of Herod, king of Judah, Um, Now, I'm going to stop there. I'm not going to do that with every single phrase in this passage, but I do want to say, paint the picture and get the setting of what it was like in the days of Herod. It had been 400 years, 400 years where nobody had heard anything from any of the prophets or had heard from God. God was quiet for 400 years. Um, And Israel had declined into a very deep, spiritual darkness over those 400 years. They had drifted um, far away. And so it was a dark, dark time for Israel. Their king, in name only really, was Herod. And he was not a Jew. Herod was an Edomite. And the Edomites descended from Esau. And Esau hated Jacob. Because Jacob was the favored son, and that was what the line went through, and the blessings and everything. And so there was a lot of tension (laughs) over hundreds of years was still there. Herod was a horrible man. He did some good things. They were rebuilding the temple, but they were also rebuilding a lot of pagan temples around. So it was no, you know, it was no wonderful thing for um, the, the Jews to have their temple rebuilt by him. It was in the process of being rebuilt. Um, but he was pretty much a barbaric person. He did dastardly things. He killed, he murdered his wife. He murdered some of his sons out of fear of losing power. This is the Herod who slaughtered the babies when he heard that Jesus was born, went out and just ordered all the slaughter of all those babies. This is Herod. It was a horrible, dark time for the Israelites. Their temple was not finished, and it was desecrated. It was just not as holy and honorable as God had originally planned it to be. It was like other pagan temples, pretty much, um, because it was built by Herod. The priesthood was degraded. It had totally been shamed and falling apart for most of it. And the people were debased. They were kind of just 
many of them floundering. They still went through all of the, the, the rituals and the commandments, and, and there was always a remnant. God always has a remnant. He's never void without some, with his people, without a representation. So Israel still had hope. Um, many of them still clung to, the majority of them probably still clung to the Messiah coming and looking for the Messiah. That was in their teachings. That was their belief. But some of their behaviors had pretty much fallen on the wayside. Um, the last prophet that was spoken, had spoken, was Malachi. In Malachi 3.1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger and the covenant to whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That was the last word of a prophet 400 years prior. He's coming. He's coming. He's going to prepare the way. The Lord is coming. And so they've been looking for him. And moving over to chapter 4 of Malachi in verse 4 and 5, it says, Remember the law. Of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So there was a remembrance, there was a call to, to, to stick with the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, to, to follow through on what Moses had commanded them to do, and then God was going to send, um, prepare the way, send someone in the spirit of Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers and the fathers of heart. He will turn the people's hearts back to the fathers, the patriarchs, their known ways. Remember what they stood for. There'll be a, almost like a revival, a renewal. And that was their hope that they hung on to. That's what they, if you asked them, what they would believe. But the behavior was drifting. This passage I understand during this time when it is read, when it was read by the rabbis, they wouldn't end it with the curse. They would go back and repeat, and he will turn their hearts to the fathers and the children hearts to the hearts back to each other. They couldn't leave it on a curse thing. They had that hope. So hope was instilled. Um, and they were waiting for this messenger to come. God was going to send a messenger, a herald, a forerunner. So they were all waiting for this. So when we look at our passage today, they were looking for this. They were waiting for this. For, for 400 years plus, they had been waiting for this to happen. Well, who were the people involved? That was the setting, a very dark setting. It says that there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of, of Abijah, Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So they were following what Malachi had um, commanded them to do. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So Zechariah was one of thousands, probably 20,000 priests that had duties to do um, in throughout Judea, and he was from a little remote village. Zechariah 
and Elizabeth were found righteous because they believed in the true living God. They weren't sinless. You can be righteous, righteous but not and still sin. Um, they were righteous because they lived their lives striving to be obedient to God's law. And when they messed up, they would repent. They would have to do the animal sacrifice at the temple and all and pray for repentance and do all that stuff that they were commanded to do by Moses. They knew they fell short of keeping his law, and they knew they needed to turn to God in repentance and faith. And they knew that God was merciful and gracious and loving, and he would forgive them. So, Zechariah and Elizabeth were people who believed in the one true God and strived to keep the commandments of Moses. Their genealogy is important also. They had great promise in their genealogy of having the Messiah come through their line. Abijah's division, um, it goes back to Aaron, the... um, the Levite and all the priests that were with Moses, Aaron's brother. And Aaron had four sons. Two of them died with no children, but the other two had many, many descendants. And when King David um, was, was passing the crown on to Solomon, his son, David divided up Aaron's sons into 24 divisions or clans or groups of priests that would perform the, um, the duties with the incense and the service in the temple throughout uh, Judea. They were going to do that. Um, and so David had this all set up. And one of those divisions was Abijah's division. It was the eighth division. And they would take turns going into Jerusalem to the temple to do this. And meanwhile, back in their little cities, they would continue to do their thing. So it was a rotation kind of thing. And it was by lot that a priest would be pulled from these different divisions to go and do it in Jerusalem on one of the high holidays. Um, So it was a great honor for Zechariah to do this. And Elizabeth, her descendants go back to Aaron also. And this is important to note because when we look at the fact that they were childless, society at that time believed, well, it's because there's sin in your life and God is punishing for that, you know. Women who were childless were shamed and, and looked down upon because that was the, pretty, the main role a woman had. Um, but let's just take it a bit further and look at the Israelites, if they... They all had this, this, this hope that maybe the Messiah would come directly from their line. Their line. Not just the, 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 the group of people, that the, the Jews there, but specifically from their line. And the, with the genealogy of Zechariah and Elizabeth, there was a strong hope that he would come from their line. But because they had no children, that was, that was lost. Um, They had no possibility of a physical link to the Messiah, okay? And that was painful. So we find Zechariah, he's there and he's doing, performing the duties of the law, what was required. It was the the highest honor. It was a a once-in-a-lifetime honor to be able to do that. 
And they would go in and they would keep the incense burning during these, these holidays, um, feasts and stuff and celebrations. And it was his duty to go not into the holies of holies, but um, into the inner part with the incense going. And they were kind of keeping it going and the smoke was going up, the aroma was going up while all the people outside the temple area were praying and for repentance, praying for um, the coming Messiah, um, just just pouring their hearts out to God and the, the incense and the smoke was symbolic of the prayers going up. It was a beautiful picture of the people in a repentant, dependent mindset submission before God, and they were anticipating the Messiah. It's very similar to what we have today with the communion, this do in remembrance of me, right? Because the day will come with communion when we will celebrate with him. Jesus said, the next time I celebrate with you, it's going to be really, really good. But until then, do this in remembrance of his coming and anticipation. So that's what was happening. This was a huge very important day for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Just, just, you know, it was a big day for the whole nation, but specifically for the priest that was called in there. Um, but something supernatural is going to happen. This is all the flesh working. This is like doing it down here, the physical elements of happening and everything and going through the motions of it. So you ask yourself, why was it so unexpected of Zechariah that there should appear an angel. The last angel that appeared to people was 500 years prior, and that was in a vision to Zacharias. When Luke is writing about that, he just says he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, blah, 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 blah. And um, the whole multitude was praying outside prayer is a big thing they were all praying and in verse 11 and there appeared to him an angel of the lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense hey just matter of fact hey there's an angel standing there on the right side of of incense there he is so the way luke writes about it is a matter of fact kind of way but for Zechariah, this was no matter of fact. No one is supposed to be in there with him. No one. This was his turn for one thing, right? This was his honor to be in there. Um, so it took him by surprise that something supernatural was happening in the natural realm. This is God. To God, the supernatural is natural, so there was like no skipped beat at all when God intermingles with man. Okay, it's just a natural flow for God. And if we look back on Israel's history, it began with the supernatural birth of Abraham's son, didn't it? With Isaac. That was pretty amazing how that happened. And Sarah laughed. And maybe even the echoes of her laughing through the, the birth of John the Baptist, too. That, come on, you guys, this, this happens. This happens. God does things like this. Get, get more used to that. I think today even we get amazed when, wow, did you see what God did? Well, yeah, we need to learn to expect that's a cool thing that God did. You know, instead of being, we need to learn to look for those things. or have our eyes open to have those things more apparent to us. So, 
It was a really big deal in heaven, too. Let's just take a glimpse up at heaven. Because the day had finally come that God was going to send the Savior. And the heavenly host was up there wondering what was going on. Who was Almighty going to send down there to tell these people? Just think about that, you know? How do they decide? Michael, Gabriel, who's going to do? And there's only two angels in the Bible that's named Michael and Gabriel, but there's a whole slew of them. How was God going to do this? What was going to happen? So the anticipation in heaven was just amazing. To get a little glimpse of what that might be like on the human element realm, um, we have this little toy that... I guess it works with fans. It goes along the wall, it floor, it crawls up the wall, and you can get it to crawl up the ceiling and go all the way. It's very loud, but fans are something propelled. You can get it at Walmart. And anyways, the kids were playing with this thing, and it fell, and it lost the itty-bitty pin in one of the little axle things. Itty-bitty. It's like a, a straight pin when you're sewing the end of it, like the one-third of the pin. And can't work without that. It broke. Felt bad about it. I mean, I wasn't playing with it. The kids were playing with it. Grandkids were playing with it. They come out, and they were very upset. And I said, well, I like a challenge like that. I'm the type of mom who, after you send somebody into a room to look for something, they come out, it's not there, you walk in, there it is, right? Okay, that's, you know. So I'm down there, and I was told what it looks like, and I'm on my hands and knees, and I'm going along the side of the wall and stuff, and I found it. I'm embarrassed to tell you where I found it, but I I found it within a little dust bunny. (laughs) It was just one little one that kind of caught it, but I found it. And and I said, oh, Oliver, my grandson, here it is. And he was elated, because I think he was operating it when it fell. He was so excited. He wanted to take, can, oh, let me bring it out. Let me show Uncle Mac and everything. I, I, and I'm giving him this thing. I said, where are you going with He said, I'm going to go in the tree fort to tell them that I found it. I'm like, no, you're not taking this outside in a tree fort. I'll never find it out there. I said, I'll, I'll hand it. But the excitement that he had because he wanted to say that they, it was found. I want to be the one to tell. I want to be the one to share the good news that we found this. Can you see on a little small level what maybe that was like for these angels to say, oh, I want to be the one to go down there and tell. This is the most exciting news in all that could ever be. This is it, man, to say that. And then when you always talk to Barry also, that was a big thing. But this is a big event happening. Good news. Good news is going to happen. This was a, so God picks a primary messenger to talk about this monumental announcement. The phrase good news is used 11 times in the gospel. 10 of the times are used in Luke. This was joyous news, wonderful news. Um, but Zechariah was like, uh, kind of questioning it. It says in 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am old man and my wife is advanced in years. Well, <laughs> Gabriel, it's kind of funny. Where he just says, I'm Gabriel. Come on, that should be a hint, right? Right there, that should be a hint. You know, I, I'm sent by God to tell you this. Um, but he just wasn't 
he just wasn't checking out on the, the same spiritual, supernatural element. He was down in the flesh with all this stuff. Now, he was doubted. And the angel tells him that because you have, you know, I came to speak to you about this good news, and behold, you, were, you will be silent and unable to speak. Did you pick that up? Silent and unable to speak. He was deaf and dumb. Okay? He was in a silent world. And later on when, he, when John is born, they're making signals to him. They weren't talking to him. They had to make signs to him. So he couldn't hear and he couldn't speak. Was this punitive? Eh, I don't know. It was, I don't know, Gabriel had the authority to do this, I guess, or whatever. But um, I, I like to kind of think that it was God in his love and wants us to learn stuff, plunged Zechariah into this silent world so he could ponder what was about to happen. God wanted to set him apart from everything out. Can't hear, can't communicate. This is the greatest news on happening, and he can't say anything about it. Couldn't interact or listen to other people coming at him. He was in his own silent world, him and God, to really think about this and contemplate it. This man was going to raise John the Baptist. This was his son. This is really a, a, a self-reflection and a, and a worship of God. And how do we know to go this way? Because when John's born, and we'll get there next week, he just breaks out in a beautiful benediction of praise before God. So God wants us to learn. It's not like, okay, you're in trouble, so you're not going to do that, and that's it, boom. No, that's not the God we serve. Okay, you should have known better. You're in here. This is what this whole thing represents. Nothing's impossible with God. Remember Abraham and Sarah. But because of that, we really want you to know. And so we're going to put you in a situation where the only one you can really communicate with is God. The Bible is filled, is all about pretty much supernatural interception in the, nat in the natural world. Because it's about the Son of Man, divine and human coming together. The whole book is about that. And, but we don't see it. We get caught up in the flesh so much. All right, so we're going to go and look at verses 15 and 17 um, with the, the birth of John the Baptist. It is foretold. Malachi talked about it. He's going to send a forerunner, somebody ahead to prepare the way for him. And it says in verse 15a, um, Backing up to 14. And you will have the joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at the birth of John, for he will be great before the Lord. The standard here is God's. Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous in the eyes of the Lord. John the Baptist will be great as a standard of God. He ate bugs. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be any kind of guy I would want my daughter to date, right? He was a crazy man. He was a wild man. But in stand, God's standard, he was great. Jesus says this about him in Matthew 11:11. 11, 11. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
Let's take a look at who was he greater than? No one born of women. He was greater than Enoch, who walked with God. He was greater than Noah. How about Melchizedek, the king of Salem that Abraham bowed down to? How about Abraham and all the patriarchs? King David, Solomon, he was greater than anyone else born. But Matthew goes on to say this. The least, even he, the least person in heaven will be greater than even John the Baptist. So when we get to heaven, we're going to be greater than him. So he was a great guy. Why was he so great? Well, we find out that he was filled with the Spirit of God from the womb. Um, in verse, and he must not drink wine or strong, uh, drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to tune the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. It was a dark time. They weren't really following. They were going through the motions of stuff, but they were kind of, you know, it became a little empty. And then John the Baptist coming on the scene will be the one that calls for them to repent to turn back to God, to realize what's going on. He was going to get the people ready. He will, and he's going to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. His entire life, from conception, his entire life was under the influence, control of the Holy You know, when I read that, I thought, I wish that could happen to me. I wish it wasn't a choice. <laughs> Right? Because sometimes we default to the flesh a lot, right? But to not, to just to be able to be controlled and have the influence of the Holy Spirit from the time we were conceived, um, that's a powerful thing. That's probably why he was so great. God's sovereign choice. He's done that. He does that. Jeremiah 1, 4 to 5, the call of Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, before I, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's Old Testament. New Testament, we go to Galatians 1, 15, and Paul says this. Um, but when he who had set me apart... Before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God called him. God chose him. God had it all set up. God has plans for us. He knows the plans he has for us. He knows the work he has cut out for us to do. And this was John's calling and mission to get the people ready. Get ready. Get ready. Wake up. Expect him. Repent. Turn back to the patriarchs and know what they stood for. Clean out your hearts. It's like you're having company. What do we do when we have special company? We get all the dust bunnies out of the house, don't we? <laughs> we clean house. We get things ready to receive him. After 400 years, these people needed to be shook up. God hadn't forgotten them. John, in other words, and you're looking at the concert world, John was the opening act. And Jesus is the main event, 
Okay, get that warm-up band out there. Let's get going and let's make it happen. His story is marching on. Still marching on. He's coming again. His story, history is marching on. God is about to set his foot down in human history. This is a big event. Let's look at that big event, that main event. God was coming into human life in the person of his son. God's plans are established in eternity past. You can't change them. Nothing, nothing we can do to change them. Um, it, they're, they're, it's set in stone. Um, Job 4, Job 42, too, says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Isaiah 14, 27 For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? God's plans are not dependent on people. But we have a choice where we can participate or not. If we choose to participate, fully submit, and enjoy, there are great rewards. If we don't, if we resist, God's plans are still going to unfold. But we're going to miss out on some blessings. We're going to forfeit some enjoyment. Zechariah had a choice when his lips were zipped and his ears were plugged. He didn't have to reflect on God and what just happened. He could have taken up drinking or anything else, right? But God moved him to to turn to him and to contemplate what was going on and to deeply grapple with what was happening. Your son is going to be the forerunner that Malachi talked about. Wow. I wish I knew what Elizabeth felt about that when she heard that. Um. Zechariah was given this opportunity to reflect, and we know that he reflected and came out good. His name, by the way, um, Zechariah, means Jehovah remembers, but Jehovah is the shortened version, J-E-H. When it's shortened like that, it means like there's a sorrow and a sobbing with it. So Jehovah remembers, marries Elizabeth, and her name uh, means the oath of God. The Jehovah remembers the oath of God, and what did they have? John, and his name is God is gracious. Jehovah remembers the oath of God, God is gracious. What a beautiful thing names can be when we really dig in and look at it. God was about to pour out his grace through the gift of his son, the son of man. All right, last point here. Let's get to the main event. The main event Six months later, we're knowing that um, Gabriel, same angel, all excited. He's probably hoping this goes a little bit better than Zechariah. I don't know. He is sent to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. That's the setting. Big event, main event. Where does God choose to go? Galilee, not Judea. Galilee was overrun by Gentiles. It was dark. It was pagan. It was probably not safe going out on the streets. In Nazareth, not Jerusalem, 
Nazareth at the time was one of the most corrupt towns in around. What did Nathaniel in John 1, 46 say, Nathaniel, when he heard, can anything good come from Nazareth, right? It was a corrupt place. And where does God go? Where does he send his message to? The home where Mary was living. It wasn't a temple. God goes to the ordinary. He goes to the, the basic, I don't know, you and me, you know, the unimportant, the irrelevant. Um, why was that? That's mm, what God chose to do. His institutions were pretty much corrupt and degraded. And when they become stuff like that, God's not involved in them anymore. Jerusalem was a city that he loved, and yet he didn't go and make that announcement there. So those That was the setting he chose to go into, a very human setting, a very human setting. And who were the people that he chose to go to? Joseph was a righteous man. He was a carpenter. Okay, nice income. His adopted, he was the adopted father of Jesus. So that put Jesus in David's lineage because Joseph was in the lineage of David and that gave him a right to the throne. Mary was a virgin betrothed to be married took about a year to get married, and she was a physical descendant of David. So we've got some good bloodlines here with that. And there's a divine blessing that happens here in verse 28. Whoops, I do want to go over here. He comes to Mary, and he says to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what, it, what this sort of greeting might mean. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This shows you the heart and the humility of Mary. An angel appears. Apparently she was taken back, but maybe it was the the innocence of youth. She was probably 13 at the time or something. I don't know. The older we get, the more jaded we get. Zachariah was an old man, and he was kind of hard and crusty. But she, she, she saw the angel. She was taken back, but she was more alarmed and troubled by what the angel said. Favored one. Favored one? Why would I be a favored one? Why would I be the recipient of God's grace? She was aware of her own sin. How could she be favored? This is genuine humility here. The Lord is with you. Is he, the angel is telling her, God will work through you. It will happen. The sovereign grace of God is a beautiful picture. We can see Mary's heart here. So what's the plan? What's going to happen? Why are you here? You're going to bear a son? His name's Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Whoa, things are clicking in her head now. And he will be great. That word is probably one of the most understated words we have. Jesus will be great. We don't have words in our language to describe the greatness of Jesus. He will be great. Son of the Most High. He will possess the very nature of God. Hebrews 1, 3 says... He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1, 2, 9 
says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Yeah, he's, he will be great. He is great. Great. And then springboard it from there. So this is puzzling things. She's a virgin. And this isn't making sense to her. Um, how can this be, she asks the angel in verse 34. How, how can this be since I'm a virgin? That's a very good question to ask, right? Um, you know, what, what's going to happen here? How can you, um, you know, put a, can you, can you call a circle a square? I mean, this is illogical. I'm just, it just doesn't make sense. But it has to be true or else scripture is in error and God lies. The fact that we can't understand something is okay. The fact that we can't understand something with our limited knowledge should just reinforce to us the bigness and the vastness of who God is and the realm of the divine spiritual natural. We don't need to know. We just need to know it is in faith. God is not held within what we call natural. Okay? He's not a three-dimensional being. There's nothing impossible with God. Everything's outside his realm. God is not limited by what we call natural. God is not limited. I love this one. He is not limited by our knowledge base. Don't you like that? He's not limited by our knowledge base. We don't have to know everything. If we don't know it, hey, what a cool God we serve. It's going to happen because we know he's a good God. So the plan was, in verse 35, the strategy was the Holy Spirit is the power source who will overshadow her. The Holy Spirit has been a part of creation. He was the original agent in creation. Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Spirit of God. overshadow it's not anything sexual about this there's nothing sexual about any of this overshadowed means to surround to encompass to influence same word is used in the transfiguration when we get there in Luke 9 to overshadow to to just kind of wrap you around you and, and influence you and the child will be Holy, holy child. Um, where did it go? 36. And behold, wait, and will be called holy, the son of God. The baby Jesus in the womb will be held from contamination from the sin nature of the mother's flesh. Held holy and separate from the contamination of the flesh of the womb that he was in. This is a marvelous, supernatural, divine thing of, of God intertwining with man and yet not allowing it to be corrupted by the sin nature. And then he tells Mary about Elizabeth, her old relatives who's with child. Why did he tell him that? 
because it was encouraging to her. God's doing miracles. This is happening. She just hauls off everything and hustles up to see her. Um, And Mary is very submissive. We'll end it with this. For nothing, in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Man, he left her with a lot on her heart and mind, right? Um, Mary knew of Isaac's birth with Abraham and Sarah. Mary knew about Samuel's birth to Hannah. And she was just left in wonder about what was going to happen. Um, When we become believers and the Spirit of God comes into us and we become spiritually alive, we are supernatural spiritual beings too. And I don't think very many of us really are aware of that. We just weigh in too much on the flesh. We get caught up on aches and pains and, you know, all that kind of stuff and frustrations and stuff. But if we were really to look at the supernatural realm and the beauty of God's spirit that empowers us to do things and that we're in the palm of his hand all the time, just, just we would be more bold, um, more filled with joy, more carefree. What are we going to worry about, right? So our challenge is to kind of look at, yes, these things happened before the Holy Spirit was in everybody, but we have that Spirit of God, the power of God that indwells us. And we have work laid out for us to do too, that he laid out before the beginning of time. God, we thank you so much that we have this story. We have these truths that that we have looked at this morning, just open up the eyes of our heart to just take them in in more wonder and beauty than we ever have before with gratitude, with gratitude that your love for your son and the gift of a bride for him, a pure bride, was there and that we can be a part of that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.